Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast, featuring indie and small press authors with host Emma Pulova. November is the National Novel Writing Month, and our guest today is author Kate Meyer, who has been participating in the Writing Challenge since 2020. Kate Meyer is an author, speaker, therapist, and minister living in West Michigan with her husband and two chocolate labs. She self-published her first novel, The Red Couch, in July of 2021. Kate also hosts the weekly series, Mental Health Mondays with Kate, available on her website, katemeyer.com. At the end of the interview, Kate will share the details of her book giveaway of The Red Couch. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. Why did you decide to participate in NANO last year? And how did you find out about the writing challenge? I actually heard about NANO from uh, a former client who used NanoRimo as her own therapy, um, a way just to kind of process and do some self-care. And I was intrigued by by the concept. Yeah, that is nice. I've never heard of that. That yeah. someone could do. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. How are you participating? Why are you participating in the challenge this year? Um, last year was very successful. Uh, so that, <laughs> Good. That That's awesome for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that helps a lot. Um, yeah. But also uh, with the publication of The Red Couch, I've had people asking, where's book two? Um, it's very clear at the end of the first book that there's another one coming. Um, and so Nano felt like a good way to uh, really dive into getting that second book going. Perfect. Yeah. And so how are you doing with your project, with your Nano project, your second book this year? Yeah. And the challenge as we speak, culminating. of it. In the midst, in the midst of, yeah. But I am, uh, I am on par to hit the fifty thousand, um, so that feels really good. Uh, it fiction feels a lot different. Last year I did um, nonfiction, and that's uh, the book that um, is being published sometime in mid twenty twenty two, and fiction writing uh, fiction during nano feels a lot different. Um, it's fun. I enjoy it a lot. Do you like it better than nonfiction? It feels, um, I think the difference is with fiction, I can just kind of let the characters take me where they want to take me. And with nonfiction, you know, you kind of have to follow a, (laughs) follow a plan, um, and, and stick with some pretty clear boundaries. So definitely different. What tips can you give to the participating RIMOs this year? I would say whenever you have a day that you can get more than the word count done, do it. Um, because there will be days that it's hard to just to get anywhere close to that 1667. <laughs> um, and so if you can have days where you go over that, then you know, you can slowly have days where you're needing to write less and less. So use that initial energy to do more, to write more. Um, 
and then you have a nice buffer as as energy wanes or if you hit hit a, a block <laughs> that sometimes happens to us doesn't it it does yeah yeah so how has nano helped you reach your writing goals writing and publishing goals yeah um when i started nano as i was approaching it last year um I, I had a book in mind. I knew I wanted to get it out. I knew I needed um, to, to start the process. I knew it was time for this book on grief to be written um, and get out. And the only way I was going to be able to kind of protect and carve out time was to just dive in during nano. And that's what I did. Um, it's nine or 10 chapters, I don't remember exactly right at this moment. Uh, but at the end of nano, I had seven of them done. Um, and so it has allowed me to just get the bulk of my writing done. Um, and that once I get that far, it's hard to, to stop, right? You just want to keep going and right. do what you're doing. So, yeah, that's the beauty of nano. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so today we will be talking about your Nano 2020 book. Yes. So yes. what inspired you to write it? I work um, in my full-time job as a bereavement counselor. Um, so offering grief support to um, anybody who's had a human loss. Um, and I was seeing themes in those sessions of people who have been hurt in their grief by the Christian church. And so this book is called Faith Doesn't Erase Grief. And the, the premise of it is uh, interweaving the truths of psychology with the truth of faith and how um, one is still allowed to grieve and in fact, encouraged to grieve. You don't have to just focus on heaven and pretend that you're not grieving. Um, and that's the damage that a lot of people have experienced by the church. So trying to undo that um, from a responsible um, Christian base, but also looking at the truths of what we know from psychology. How do you feel you have accomplished that? In what specific manner to erase the past beliefs about yeah. grief? Um, I, the book has a really, um, a structure I'm really proud of. Um, I, from, from page one, am interweaving Christianity and psychology, um, just normalizing how important it is to merge those two things um, so the first three or four chapters are really about leveling the playing field so that no matter what denomination of Christianity, no matter, um, if a person isn't churched, uh, they mm -hmm. maybe have their own, um, Christian beliefs, but don't attend a congregation. It's about leveling that, that, that entrance point so that everybody is coming from the same place by the time we get into the meat of the book. Um, 
And it's, it's giving permission right off the bat of if you've had a loss, mm-hmm. God does not say to you, just focus on the fact that your loved one is in heaven. What God says to you is, while that is true, you are still here and you are grieving. So let me help you through your grief. Mm-hmm. And that's what this book is about. That is a different approach, right? From the standard. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like that. What was the biggest challenge in writing this? It sounds like a difficult theme or subject to take on, but you being the professional handled it from a professional standpoint of view. So what was your biggest challenge? I wanted to make sure it stayed accessible. Um, you know, I, d- I don't want it to be a, a, it's not meant to be a textbook for um, providers, though it can be. I wanted it to stay accessible um, for grievers. And so what, I, what I've learned over the years is that um, in grief, our brains don't process the way they, they typically do. <laughs> and so, um, you know, trying to just keep it really um just basic and approachable and accessible, not going too deep in theology, not going too deep in psychology, um, not getting you know bogged down in theories, um, but instead just finding a, a flow that lets people enter wherever they are. So that's another thing about it is it's, it's not necessary to read from beginning to end. Um, I encourage throughout the book, in fact, that people just read the part that they need in that moment and then come back to it when they're ready for more. Um, because we can't, when we're grieving, we can't just read it all at one time. It's too much. How do you know which part is for you? Yeah. So, um, the first two chapters are all about just an introduction, um, kind of, here's a broad definition of Christianity. Here's a broad definition of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's all about teaching about emotions. uh, Something that as adults, we, we aren't so great about. (laughs) Um, I agree. Yeah. And then, and then it's looking at um, early grief, middle grief, and lasting grief. And write the, the first sentences of each of those chapters defines when approximately uh, those phases happen, early, middle, and lasting. And so um, that's a really quick way for people to navigate where they might be. Um, and then there are, there are sections in there uh, for special considerations. Um, what, I'm, what I'm most excited about in mm-hmm. Faith Doesn't Erase Grief is that those three chapters, the phases, early, middle, and lasting, include biblical illustrations of the, of the particular phase and a survival toolkit of practical um, application tools and strategies that people can use. So it hits both sides of the coin. Um, in helping people cope. That sounds very interesting. 
What would you say is the typical length of the grieving process? Um, well, that third phase is called lasting grief. Uh, and that's very intentional. Um, I don't want people to be uh, intimidated by that or disheartened by that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's about the fact that in many ways, grief doesn't leave us. It changes. Um, it lessens in intensity. It lessens in duration. It lessens in frequency. But there's a small part of it that's always there um, and can get kind of poked <laughs> at random times. Um, but if we can, if we can really put in effort at uh, investigating our grief and expressing our grief, by the time we hit year two, things can be in a different place and can be a little more manageable, a little easier to understand and express and move through than, than that first year. So would you say that first year is critical and that your book does help people go through this critical first year? Absolutely. Yes, the first year is very critical. Um, I do intentionally have a chapter in there uh, for grievers who are finally facing their grief as if it's the first year, even though it's years later. Um, because that's another thing I want people to understand. It's never too late. Mm -hmm. It's never too late to finally face grief. Um, there are a lot of reasons grief gets delayed and there are a lot of reasons people get stuck in grief, mm -hmm. um, but it's never too late to deal with it. And should a person not put it off or you kind of get ready for it or... Let's say I keep putting it off. When should I finally deal with it? Well, that's the, the difficult thing about grief um, is that it will find a way to be, um, to be expressed. So if we are intentionally repressing emotions or intentionally avoiding the pain of grief, um, eventually, it will seep out into other parts of our body. So we'll start to get physically ill. We'll have headaches. We'll stop sleeping. Um, we'll notice mood changes, um, maybe becoming more uh, short-tempered or edgy than usual. Um, and those are things that happen when we repress our grief. And so if you begin to notice, I'm, I'm a different person and and it's, it's not getting positive reactions from people. Mm -hmm. It's a good indicator that maybe you've, you've put grief off for too long. Yeah, that makes sense. What have you learned about yourself from writing this book? I have learned, that's a great question. Um, I have learned that I in this book in particular, I'm passionate about um, undoing harm that the church has done. Um, and I'm passionate about people having permission to grieve because we all grieve. That's why I feel um, this book is so important right now with everything going on with COVID grief. Grief is hitting a lot of people um, 
I hesitate to say everyone because, you know, <laughs> that can, that can be a little too much, but um, grief is hitting a lot of people and people are experiencing it in new ways and at new levels. Um, and I've learned how passionate I am about people finally knowing and believing that they have a right to grieve and that grief doesn't have to be scary. Um, I'm passionate about that. I want people to be able to grieve openly because if we can do that, if we can face the pain and embrace the pain, it allows us to go through it more quickly. What sets you apart from other authors in your genre? I think um, the intentional blending of Christianity and psychology. Uh, similar books tend to defer to Christianity and Bible only mm -hmm. um, for treating grief. And with the end goal of focus on heaven, and this book is not, that's not what this is. This is about, mm -hmm. yes, believe in heaven, believe that that's where your person is. That, that is all well and good. And address how it is impacting you right now in this moment while you are still here on this earth. And um, so my training and my, my licensure as um, uh, a, a licensed professional counselor combined with my ordination as a minister of word and sacrament, I think brings a really unique blending um, that is not is not everywhere in the grief market. It's a unique thing. Yes, I agree with that. What are the major takeaways from your book? You kind of touched on it, but if you were to summarize, let's say two major takeaways, number one, number two. Number one, we need to know what our emotions are. We cannot, we cannot uh, endure grief without understanding emotions. And if we can't get to the point where we go back to those, those toddler years, when we just have these kind of <laughs> big explosions, these big tantrums. Mm -hmm. Yep. I right? remember those. Yeah. Well, when children have those tantrums, they do it. And then they go back to doing whatever it is they were doing before they got mad. And that's because their little bodies get filled with these giant emotions. They expel them in really big ways. And then there, it doesn't linger. So that, that's a primary takeaway for me is that we as adults need to reclaim what it means to um, understand emotions and, and claim them and um, express them, get to know them and express them. Second, um, <laughs> if Jesus can grieve, you can grieve. I mean, that's, that's kind of my one-liner, right? That as Christians, if you look at Jesus's story, he grieves. Um, and if he can, we absolutely can. What is the worst and the best writing advice you have ever received, if any, in your case, 
or by, yeah. <laughs> or any advice. I guess you also learn in your job, right? Yeah. From a lot. Yeah. Um, I think best advice that I'm not always great at following, but best advice is just get it on the page. <laughs> Stop <laughs> editing and just get it on the page. Um, you know, my default is to edit as I write and that, oh, it's so hard to get anything accomplished when you do that. Um, so I try really hard to follow that, uh, especially during nano. Nano is really motivating for me to, to just write and not worry about the editing. Just, just get it out. <laughs> Have you been able to do that successfully? And much, much more easily with the fiction book. Oh, yes. You touched on that. Yeah. Yeah. Fiction in that manner is easier. Yeah. Yeah. Just All righty. How about reading? Would you like to read to us? And what are you going to read from? So um, the giveaway I'm doing is um, my book, The Red Couch. Um, this is self-published. Uh, Faith Doesn't Erase Grief is going to be published by an indie publisher, a very small, brand new independent publisher. Um, super excited about that partnership. Um, but since it's not yet published, I don't have it to read to you. So I'm going to do a reading from the red couch. Um, should I go ahead and explain the giveaway at this point? Yeah, you, you can. Okay. Sure. okay. So my website, I just, I need to correct my website. It's katejmeyer.com katejmeyer.com um, and the first person who subscribes to my website and sends a little email saying podcast in the subject line I'm going to send you your very own copy of the red couch um, so uh, if you subscribe to my website and send me an email, subject line podcast, I'll respond, get your address, and put this in the mail for you. Um, so the Red Couch has um, a lot of overlapping themes with Faith Doesn't Erase Grief. Um, it is about, um, it is, there's a, a huge component of grief and grief recovery. Um, I call it an adult coming of age book. Um, you know, when we're in our early twenties, we think we have it all figured out. Um, and then there's that, that later time when something happens and we really come to know who we are. Um, and so I'm just going to give a brief reading here. This is, um, partway through the book. It doesn't really give anything away. Um, but it does show uh, our main character, Tony, um, coming into her own a little bit, claiming some strength that is newfound to her. So this is from the red couch. Of course, this would be the one time in life she manages to be where and when she planned. A woman who looked well beyond her 49 years, approached the porch steps and all Tony could do was stare. I guess this is what the life 
of alcohol and maybe more will do to a person. Tony felt the familiar mixture of compassion, disappointment, and anger well up within her as she signaled for Judy to take the other chair. Antonia, you look beautiful. It's Tony, Judy. Gran is the only one who called me Antonia. Oh, well, Tony, you look beautiful. Happy, too. I'm working on it. Tony knew her answers were clipped, but she needed to keep her defenses up. Experience was a grand teacher and the lesson about Judy was simple. Her true motives will always be revealed, no matter who is hurt along the way. Even still, the manners Ruth modeled for her in this very house demanded a smidge of hospitality. Would you like some water? How about something with caffeine? Tony went inside and returned quickly with a can of soda. She handed it to Judy without a word. Thank you. Where have you been lately? I noticed you still have a 920 area code, but that doesn't mean much. Judy responded, oh, you know, here and there. I spent some time in Kenosha, then Fond du Lac and Oshkosh. Alone? No, Gary and I are staying with friends. I see. How did you hear about Gran? I tried to contact you, but the message bounced back. A friend of mine saw the obituary you printed for her and tracked me down. Tony's smidge of hospitality was dried up. She was growing impatient with the conversation, so she tried to hurry it along. Gran actually wrote that herself, and now you've tracked me down. So what do you want, Judy? I haven't seen you in years, Tony. What is so wrong with a mother wanting to see her daughter? You just said it, Judy. You haven't seen me in years. How many mothers can say that about their daughters? You left me here over 20 years ago and have barely looked back. That's not true. I came back a lot. Yeah, you came back to visit. You came back to get money and you always left disaster behind you. That all may be true, but that doesn't mean that's how it has to be now. I mean, my mom is gone. You don't know what that feels like. It made me realize that I want a better relationship with you, and that's why I'm here. Judy's words were what Tony had longed to hear for years, and her shock at finally hearing them paralyzed her from responding. Even as she was beginning to wonder if Judy had finally changed, if somehow Ruth's death woke her up and inspired her to be someone different. She looked up and was jolted out of that particular hope for the last time. The truth was in her unkempt appearance, in her shaking hands, in the scent of stale cigarettes and booze. Worst of all, the truth was in her big brown eyes that screamed, I've got her now. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavant and Digital Quill Services for Writers with author Colleen Nye. Kate, please give us the D.O., not the details. Give us your parting shot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> your parting shot. My parting shot? 
parting shots as what would you like to leave our listeners yeah. with? Yeah. I should have explained that. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's all right. Here's what I want to leave people with. Mm-hmm. Emotions can be big and scary, uh, but they are simply alerting us to something going on. So get to know your emotions. When it comes to grief, face the pain. It's contrary to what, are, what we do, but face it and embrace it and you will be able to move forward much more quickly. And my parting shots, buy indie, read indie, and write indie. Mm-hmm. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. <laughs> Log in your word count daily to win the NaNoWriMo 50K challenge because you too can become a published author. Thank you, Paige. Thank you, Emma. I appreciate it.